Would you like to sit down for the reading? Which is John's account in chapter 20 of um, that wonderful first Easter day. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray, shall we? We're going to uh, reflect on God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this, uh, this wonderful account of that first uh, Easter morning. We pray, Lord God, that as we reflect on it now, it might impact us for today, but also for our daily living for you. So speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Some of you think I've lost the plot, that my diary's got a little bit confused and I'm a week behind. I doubt many of you got chocolate eggs this morning. I certainly didn't. But uh, we are still in the Easter season. Last Sunday may have been Easter Sunday, but the season continues. And it's marked by a seven-week season in the Church of England calendar. But of course, it's a focus for the whole year and for the whole of our lives as the echoes of Jesus' resurrection resonate for us down the ages. 
And so we can say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What do you make of that? Especially when you hear stories of Christian leaders denying the reality of the resurrection. Paul goes further, three verses later, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's quite a clear message. I get the impression that the Apostle Paul felt that the resurrection was pretty important for the Christian story, don't you? It's vital to the Christian message. If Jesus stayed dead, we might still be inspired by his teaching. We might still marvel at his miracles and hold him up as a great prophetic figure. But his mission would have failed. And he'd just be a great but possibly deluded figure of history. We take all of the power and all of the possibilities out of the gospel narratives if we try and cut out the resurrection. In our All Things New series, the resurrection is the ultimate recreation moment. Death is defeated and all that Jesus spoke of is confirmed. And the message of hope, which we've just sung about, rings out across the world. It's significant, isn't it, that in John's Gospel, he draws parallels with the Genesis creation story in this great recreation story. At creation, two angels were placed at the entrance of the garden to bar entry. Here at the resurrection, two angels stand guard in the tomb at the head and at the foot of where Jesus' body had lain. At creation, God had walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Here at the resurrection, God the Son is confused as the gardener by Mary. John is keen for people to see the parallels and he highlights the recreative nature of these events. There's a fresh start and a new era has dawned. And so in the resurrection we discover that Jesus is alive and can therefore be known personally. We do not worship a dead Messiah, but a living one, resurrected and ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And we can know him as Saviour and Lord. Not a distant deity, but one who comes alongside in the person of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection then guarantees life after death for those who humble themselves before the cross. Jesus made many bold statements, didn't he, during his lifetime. Time and time again, he hinted to his disciples as to what was to come. He foresaw his death and he spoke of rising to life. And he promised life beyond the grave. 
Think of those great words of John chapter 14. We often hear them read at a believer's funeral service. His words to his disciples. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you to myself. In my father's house, there are many rooms. As demonstrated in the resurrection, his words can be trusted. And that means that whatever's going on in our lives... However fragile our faith might be, however fragile our own health might be, we can rest secure in the knowledge of our heavenly home. And that brings a different perspective to life and to death. And those of us who have the privilege of ministering to people towards the end of life can testify to the way in which it makes such a difference to those who believe as they face the prospect of death in this life. But it's also vital, isn't it, that we recognize that this uh, resurrection message offers hope not just to us, but to the world at large. As we despair over the Ukrainian situation, or as we wrestle with the human cost of rising prices here in the UK, we hold on to hope. At the cross, the sin and darkness of this world meets its match, and the risen Christ points to a brighter future. And we may not experience the completeness of that now, but the trajectory is set. And one day we'll experience Christ's victory in its completeness, and what is broken will be made whole again. We're actually reminded that the antidote to our human frailty and sin is so needed, even as we read the resurrection account in John's Gospel. Human pride appears to course through John's words. I actually find it quite amusing, this uh, this chapter, but it reminds us of the sort of attitudes that lead to conflict and rivalry. So let's just have a look at a few verses. It's a very energetic uh, account. There's lots of running going on, backwards and forwards. Mary Magdalene comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And that's uh, John, the author, who's um, uh, claiming that title, the other disciple, to tell them that Jesus' body has gone missing. And this is where the fun starts. So Peter and John, who we know from other incidents in the Gospels that are a bit full of themselves, they start running towards the tomb. And John feels it necessary for a, a sly dig as he writes. So in verse 2, we read, Mary came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Ouch. And then a couple of verses later, verse 4, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. A bit more narrative then verse 8. The other disciple, who by the way had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, it's just possible, but it's just a little bit of friendly banter. It may even be that John is almost speaking against himself, but it strikes me there's a little bit of pride in there. It's rather pointed, isn't it? Even after the events of that first Holy Week, the rivalry appears to have continued. The resurrection community didn't always live the resurrection life. And that's true for us today, isn't it, if we're honest? 
Maybe we know uh, people who relate a little bit like that, with a degree of superiority, always wanting to come out looking better than someone else. Maybe you even recognize something of that in yourself. How we need God's redemptive plan. One final thing I'm just going to pick up from these narratives is a sense of excitement. Try and put yourself for a moment in the shoes of Mary as she finally recognizes who she's talking to in the garden. She's too caught up in the emotion of the moment to physically recognize Jesus, but once she hears him speaking her name, she's just overwhelmed. And the risen Christ gives her a message to pass on to the other disciples. And she is quick to return from when she came, reporting her encounter. This is picked up perhaps most strongly in, in Matthew's account, where he writes, When Mary Magdalene and the other Mary realized that Jesus was alive, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Imagine the excitement in her voice as she returns to that gathering of disciples and she proclaims, I have seen the Lord. Do we have that same sense of excitement, I wonder? Some of you here have heard this resurrection message time and time again over perhaps 50, 60, 70 or more years. Maybe it's just become a bit predictable bit run-of-the-mill. It's lost its sparkle. If that's the case, I'd encourage you to read these accounts with fresh eyes and really wrestle with the power and the significance of the events described. Pete Hughes, in his book, All Things New, reminds us it's more than a future hope. It's a present invitation. It's that invitation into the resurrection life. It's still good news, my friends for now and for eternity. So let's just take a few moments, shall we, as we reflect and ask that question, what does the resurrection mean to us? Let's just be still, and then I'm going to lead us in a, a prayer of confession as we recognize that there are times when perhaps this story has lost, lost its sparkle for us. confession prayer that's going to appear on the screen in a few moments and uh, why don't we join in these words together if they resonate with you together when our faith stands at the grave grieving for a stone that's rolled away forgive us when our faith is short of understanding Though the truth is there to see, forgive us. When our faith, beset by doubt, sees no further than an empty tomb today, forgive us. Bring to mind the cry of Mary, 
I have seen the Lord, and grant us faith to believe. Amen.